You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 132. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I am the host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. Now, this is a show dedicated to helping real people, that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, an educator, a wealth advisor, and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. And today's episode is the value premium dead. But before I get to the topic of the day, I want to read something to you. I want to read just a quick paragraph from a book that I'm reading called Atomic Habits by James Clear. This book ended up at our house because my wife, who is the principal at our kids' school, her boss, the superintendent of our school district, gave a recommendation to this book, and so it ended up on our counter, and I grabbed it before she had a chance to start reading it because... Well, on the front cover, this book called Atomic Habit says, tiny changes, remarkable results. And you know what? I need a little bit of change in my habits. So I thought this might be a good idea. And I find this book fascinating. But I found this one paragraph that might help us tie this show together. And if it doesn't, you, I'm sure, can use it in some other aspect of your life. So let me read this to you. Mastery requires patience. The San Antonio Spurs, one of the most successful NBA teams in history, have a quote from a social reformer hanging in their locker room. Now this social reformer's name is Jacob Reese, I believe. And here's what the quote says. When nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stone cutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times with as much as a crack showing in it. Yet, at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it wasn't the last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. All big things come from small beginnings. The seed of every habit is a single tiny decision. But as that decision is repeated, a habit sprouts and grows stronger. Roots entrench themselves and branches grow. The task of breaking a bad habit is like uprooting a powerful oak within us. And the task of building a good habit is like cultivating a delicate flower one day at a time. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. Is the value premium dead? Now, I came up with this title because my very, very good friend and client asked me that question. Is the value premium dead? Is value dead? 
If you've been listening to this show for a long time, you know that we talk about the premiums in the market. We talk about ways of tilting our portfolio to give our family the greatest chance for success. After all, we are the family stewards. We need to make these decisions for our family, and we ought to make the ones that will give us the greatest chance for success. So these premiums I've talked about in many, many episodes. Go back and listen if you haven't. Today I'm specifically talking about the value premium. Now, don't go turning off this show if this sounds like some deep topic because I'm going to try and make it as simple as I can. First, let's define what a growth stock and a value stock might be. There's many definitions, but growth stocks are considered stocks that have the potential to outperform the overall market because of the future potential. And value stocks are classified as stocks that are currently trading below what they're really worth and will therefore provide a superior return. Growth stocks tend to be stocks of companies that you hear about a lot in the news that are doing very well. Value stocks generally, for whatever reason, have been underperforming relative to their peers and therefore have a lot of growth potential. So what I'm going to look at is just value as measured as relative price. And I'm going to use book value. So those companies that trade very close to their book value, and book value is everything the company is worth if you had to sell it today. And market value is multiplying the outstanding shares by the current stock price. If the book value and the market value are very close in value, the same value, we consider them a value stock. If the stock price times the number of outstanding shares is way higher than the book value, we're going to consider it a growth stock. But again, many different ways to measure growth versus value. So when I use the Fama French Research Index, I find that from 1928 all the way through 2018, value stocks beat growth stocks by an average of 2.16% per year. Now that is enormous. In developed markets, value beats growth. I can only go back to 1970 because that's only the amount of reliable data that we have, but value beats growth by almost 5% per year. In emerging markets, it's about 2% per year. However, when I look at every one-year period since 1928 in the U.S., value beats growth only 60% of the time. So close to a flip of the coin. So how on earth, Scott, then does value beat growth by 2.16% on average per year? It's because when value does beat growth, it really beats growth. Now, if I look at every five-year rolling period, now I see that value beats growth 74% of the time. Hey, odds are getting better. 
Maybe I ought to pay attention to this value premium. And for those Dave Ramsey listeners, when I'm talking value, and Dave talks about his four mutual funds, value falls into the growth and income section. Which is strange because I'm trying to talk the difference between value and growth, but again, these words are used interchangeably at different times. How about those 10-year rolling averages? One year, value beats growth 60% of the time. Every five-year period, 74. Every 10-year period, 83% of the time. 83% of the time. But the lesson here is in order to get that value premium, we need to stay disciplined. We need to develop great habits in order to stay disciplined. And here's why my friend asked if value was dead. Because in the most recent 10-year period, guess what? Growth has beaten value. It's in one of those 17% buckets. If value beats growth every 10-year period, 83% of the time, we're in one of those 17% buckets right now. But there's still a serious misconception that value is dead. And let me tell you why. First, let's look at that most recent 10-year period, ending June of 2019. Growth on average, 16.3% per year. Value, 12.9%. That's a big difference, 3.4 percentage points. However, let's compare that to the historical average. The historical average for growth stocks since 1928 in the U.S., 9.7%. So growth is doing awesome compared to its long-term average. Value, on the other hand, Latest 10-year period, 12.9%. Historical, last 95 years, 12.7%. We can see that value has performed, well, exactly the way it should perform. It's behaving the way it should behave. It's the growth stocks that have had very good recent returns relative to the long-term history. So if you're an investor and you're maintaining an emphasis on growth stocks, you're hoping that this departure from its average, that it will continue despite what the long-term historical averages say. Now, one question you might ask is, why the heck does value beat growth on average by over 2% per year anyway? Wouldn't the market just adjust to something like that? The reason is, Simple if you take the time to really dive into what's actually happening. Remember, bonds are riskier than cash. Cash doesn't pay you much of an interest rate because it's basically risk free. Bonds are a little riskier, and investors should demand a higher return. And on average, they get a higher return because they're taking on a little more risk. Just like stocks are riskier than bonds. Investors should demand a higher average return in stocks than in bonds because they're riskier. And finally, value stocks are riskier than growth stocks. So investors should 
demand a higher return because they're taking on more risk. Now, risk in the stock market, we're not going to get into this discussion, but has is measured or one measurement is by standard deviation. And it just means that the return outcomes on a yearly basis are going to be much higher or lower in value. So the roller coaster ride of the up and down in a value fund is going to be harder to endure. The reason value stocks on average do better than growth is because they're a little riskier. Now, when I look at risk growth versus value though, that extra 2% that you get on average per year, you don't have to take that much more risk to get it. That's the beauty of value stocks. There's another lesson that we need to draw on from past history, and that's the quick comeback of value. For those of you that have looked at your 401k plans and have seen that some of these growth funds have done better than some of these value funds through the last 10 years, be very careful if you've started to drift towards growth. Here at Best in Wealth and at Fortress Planning Group, myself and my clients, we practice discipline. We practice some of these atomic habits because we know That if we are disciplined, we will give our families the greatest chance for success. Let me give you an example of a quick comeback. And this is a serious quick comeback, but I wanted to find one to really set something in your brain to say, I need to stay disciplined. Do you all remember 2001? 2001, we were in the midst of the bubble. 2001 was not a good year for growth stocks. Those were the stocks, the dot-com bubble, that were growing so quickly, so far ahead of its book value, that they ended up coming crashing down. And if I look at 2001, actually looking at all my data, let's look at the one-year period ending March 31st, 2001. We know that bubble started later in 2000. So that one-year period ending March 31st, 2001, gross stocks, negative 30%. Actually, it was more than 30%. I'm just rounding here. Negative 30%, while value, positive 20%. Now, that's a 50% swing. Now, I'm not saying we're going to have a 50% swing next year. I'm just saying that if we're looking at these, this recent 10-year period and we have one year, like the one-year period ending March 31st, 2001, do you know what's going to happen? That next 10-year period, value is going to be beating growth again. Value has extremely quick comebacks. And we can't time when this is going to happen. You know, we're always talking about timing the stock market. And most people think, well, I've, I've stayed in the stock market. I haven't sold my stocks. When the 2008 happened, I didn't sell. I stayed in the market. But did you have an investment policy statement? Did you have an investment plan when it started? Do you have a certain percentage in each of these premiums that I talk about, value, profitability, and small? And it's not that we don't hold growth, because we do, just using a different measure, and that measure is profitability. And it's not like we 
don't own gross stocks as measured by book value. Because we do. We just have an emphasis on the premiums. And for those that say they don't time the stock market, are you, though, timing things like moving in and out of stocks, moving in and out of mutual funds, moving in and out of U.S. versus international exposure, moving in and out of different sector exposure, or moving in and out of of these premiums. Because if you are, I would argue that you are market timing. Here's the bottom line, you guys. There is tons of support for value investing. It is longstanding. Paying a lower price for a stock means a higher expected return. The stock is on sale. However, realized returns are volatile. A 10-year negative premium, while it's not really expected, it's not unusual either. And history tells us one thing, Family Steward, that changing course after a disappointing spell for something like value can lead to missed opportunities. When the drivers of outperformance have turned around in the past, steadfast investors, me and you, family stewards, have been rewarded. And a key to a successful long-term investing is sticking with your approach, even through difficult periods, so that you are there for the good times as well. Hey, this investing thing I say often, it's not easy. There's nothing about it that's easy. But if you think about the atomic habits that I talked about, investing is hard because we don't see those great results over the long term. In fact, if you had an outperformance of 2% per year over your neighbor, you would potentially literally have hundreds of thousands, even millions more. That's what what a 2% difference makes. But year after year, thinking back to that quote that the San Antonio Spurs have on their wall, hitting that rock and hitting that rock, you don't see anything. And then guess what? You're either retired or you're ready to leave your legacy and you make that final swing and bam, it all makes sense that you did the right thing as a family steward. You stay disciplined. You developed atomic habits and stay disciplined in this investing game. Hey, I got to go, but I will see you on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone. The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.